0: Hi, everyone. I'm Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This week, I'm going to talk about yet another study involving the poop of people with autism. Now, that's two in the first six months of 2019, and I suspect there'll be more. If you can remember, I didn't really love the idea of the last study, which was manipulating the microbiome by taking fecal samples of one person and putting it in another person. But this study published this week took a step back and used an experimental model, the mouse. Now, I know that mice cannot have autism. They only show symptoms similar to autism, but I'll be crass here. You can more easily stick poop up a mouse's butt and then look at their brain than you can a person. In fact, you can't even do that with a person at all. The study that was just published ends up with more questions than answers, but it's a solid study, and it shows that scientists need to be looking at the microbiome more. I'm personally grateful that the lead author on the study, Dr. Sarkis Masmanian, presented these preliminary findings at the ASF Day of Learning a couple months ago. So if you wanna hear it first anywhere, come to our Day of Learning event. Now by using a mouse model, researchers were able to manipulate the microbiome of a mouse by taking fecal samples from people and isolating their microbiome, and then put them into mice. Now these mice had no microbiome, so it was easy to kind of graph the new microbiome into the mouse. They also used fecal samples with the microbiome of people without autism in another group of mice. As autism is a condition that originates prenatally, they then mated these generation of mice so that their offspring would then also have altered microbiomes. They looked at the following in the second generation of mice. Behaviors that are similar in nature as people with autism, the microbiomes of both the parents and the offspring, and the brains of the offspring. So what happened to mice when their parents were implanted with the microbiome of someone with autism, and then they mated and had this next generation? The mice that were implanted showed a different microbiome after transplantation. This is the first generation. It was different in a lot of ways. Some bacteria were introduced, others were not. But because they had a limited microbiome before, those that got fecal transplants of any type saw a more diverse microbiome. So that was the parents. What about the mice born of those with the autism microbiome implanted in them versus those with the typically developing microbiome planted in them? Well, the differences were a little bit less, but they were still there. The ASD-implanted offspring displayed different bacterial profiles from the control group, especially in bacteria called bacteriodetis, Proteobacteria, Lactobacillus. Lactobacillus kladistressae and Enterobacteraceae. Collectively, fecal transplant from human donors into these mice maintain differences between the typically developing and the autism microbiome profiles, which are then transmitted to their offspring. So let's go back and look at the people that those microbiome came from. The behavioral features of those kids who donated their microbiome were looked at. There were some that were more severe than others and this was actually tracked in the mice. The ones that showed the most severe changes or the most extreme changes were the ones that came from the microbiomes of kids that were the most severely affected. And when I say behaviors similar to autism, what would they be in mice? Well, for one, there's something called marble burying, and that's a marker of repetitive behaviors. Mice can be somewhat obsessive about burying marbles in their cages with their own bedding. Now this isn't the same as flapping or self injurious behavior, but it is somewhat comparable. There are also mouse assays of social communication where they choose to be in an area of a cage alone or with another mouse. The transplantation of the microbiome from the more severely affected kids changed the mouse behaviors, not the ones who had the lower severity scores just the ones from the kids that had the higher severity scores. Now, the effect was also slightly more pronounced in male offspring. To me, this gives further evidence of a way you can biologically stratify different severity groups in autism. Now, in this study, it wasn't done directly, right? It was done by looking at the symptoms of the donor microbiome. Only the more severe cases were able to kind of transmit some sort of behavioral effect into mice offspring. Now let's be clear, this is a mouse study. It's a solid study and I like it because it's an animal study where the researchers could go a little bit deeper than where the microbe was altered in people with autism. I'll even get crasser here. The study I summarized a couple months ago did this to a certain extent, but they could not do what I believe to be the most important part of this study, which isn't even picked up by the media. Maybe I'm biased, maybe this wasn't what was the most interesting to you, but what the hell, I'm gonna explain it to you anyway. As I mentioned, they took the brains of the mice, both with the ASD microbiome and the typically developing microbiome, those offspring of the first implantations, and looked at RNA sequencing in the brain. Now, thanks to Dan Geshwin's lab at UCLA and the families of people who have donated their brains after they've died, looking at RNA sequencing has been done in human brains, and so it made sense to look at. If this is a new model of autism, what do the brains of these mice look like? Do they function in the same way? And does the genetic activity of their brains look in the brain of someone with autism? Well, the answer is yes, kind of. Now, no animal model is going to completely replicate what goes on in the human brain. That's a given. And there are lots of differences across pe- the brains of people with autism on the spectrum. So you kind of have to look at patterns and genes of interest. I'm going to really oversimplify this for you because that seems to be the only way I understand some of this genetic stuff. But I'll tell you that the alterations in the microbiome led to genetic mutations in the brains of mice in the same way and in the same genes, at least some of the same genes, as those with autism. So this is some evidence of validity. But let me be clear. This isn't all the source of genetic mutations in the brain. It's not all about the microbiome. In my opinion, the behavioral data weren't even that profound. There were effects, yes, but they weren't drastic. The author's title was very clear not to say this is the sole cause of autism. They say that this treatment promoted behavioral features of autism in mice. Does this mean scientists should study the microbiome? Yes. Does it mean people should run out and get fecal transplants? No, please don't do that. One thing this study did not do was look at gastrointestinal functions in what they call the ASD humanized microbiome mice. I'm assuming that that's the next step in their research. There are a lot of other parts of the study that I'm not explaining, mostly because I don't think they're compelling as the behavior and the genetics in the brain. Well, speaking of complementary and alternative medicines, next week ASF is going to publish our position statement on medical marijuana. I do want to follow up on this position statement with a special podcast on medical marijuana, so I'm not going to go into it too much right now. I'm sure if you follow us on social media or check our website, you'll see it. In a nutshell, there's not enough research. We're standing with other organizations to urge the government, specifically the DEA, to remove the classification of marijuana from Schedule 1 to a Schedule 2 so research can take place. Right now, research is at a standstill because marijuana is classified as a drug with absolutely no potential for medical benefit. Even cocaine has a schedule too. That's how crazy the drug laws in this country. So anyway, tired of hearing words in these podcasts like feces and bacteria? All right, let's move to something more palatable. And that's the role of early diagnosis and intervention and outcomes. Researchers associated with the Baby Siblings Research Consortium recently published a paper that offered hope. They did a meta-analysis of about 20 studies that looked at the outcomes of kids with autism identified by prospective studies, those at which signs and symptoms were identified early and then were followed, compared to community referral and universal screening. There were actually more than 20, but because a meta-analysis goes back to the data, they needed those with full data sets, so they ended up with about 20. They found that those who were followed prospectively exhibited greater developmental skills and fewer autism symptoms with basically no overlap in the children recruited versus community referral and universal screening. In fact, this had a huge impact statistically on outcomes. Now, it doesn't mean that community referral versus universal screening was worse than each other. In fact, those two were the same in terms of autism severity and adaptive skills. Now, there's a lot of things that could have accounted for these differences. Were the prospective samples more high-functioning to begin with? No. So that wasn't it. Were the numbers tighter in the prospective group to detect differences? No. In fact, the sample sizes were lower. Could it have been the result of racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic factors? That's a maybe. The problem is that many studies don't report these things. So that question's kind of hard to address. That needs to change. And ASF is working on how to change that. So why did they see a difference? In prospective studies, infants exposed to repeated assessments that may learn from novel experiences. The parents may new, learn new ways to interact with their children by observing assessments conducted by trained professionals. Or the very early detection of delays may result in enrollment in early intervention, which, of course, all of these things can alter a child's developmental trajectory, even one without autism. Some prospective studies may include parental and provider education, sensitization to developmental milestones, and new strategies to engage children. All of these things, again, could attenuate the cascading effects while improving social and communicative engagement. So the bottom line is the earlier the detection, the more opportunities for participating in activities that will improve outcome. If you have an opportunity to be in an early detection study, Even if you have no family history of autism, take it. A lot of these studies are looking for low-risk controls, and you get the opportunity to be part of a research study that could improve the outcome for your child, even if autism isn't the outcome. I can tell you these studies are fun, and your child will benefit no matter the diagnosis. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.